welcome to today's lecture. Today I'm reading The One Greater Than John by Neville Goddard in 1964. All right, so Neville tells his audience, tonight's subject is one greater than John. I think you will find this a most practical approach to this teaching. When we open the Bible, we think it is just a normal book. May I tell you, it is not. It is divine history and all the characters in scripture represent states of consciousness from Adam to Jesus, everyone. They're not individuals as you and I are. They're simply representatives of these states of awareness. And the very last before the page turns into an entirely new age is called John. And so we are told in the earliest of the gospels, which is Mark, after John was arrested, Jesus came preaching the gospel of, jo the gospel of God, John 1.14. After John was arrested, then he appears preaching the gospel of God. What is this story trying to tell us? So here, let me share with you my experience. I didn't know it either, but I'll tell you how this thing works. John, we are told, is the very last of the great of the prophets. As we're told, of those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom is greater than he, Matthew 11:11. None greater than John in this world, yet the least in the kingdom is greater than he. And John came not eating or drinking. If you take that on this level, that's nonsense, because the body could not survive. Another gospel states it, he came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. That tries in some way to well explain what he did, not eat or drink. But there's no, state, there's no statement at the law of Moses against eating bread or drinking wine unless you are one of the Nazarenes, and it's true as to wine, but certainly not eating bread. The Last Supper was the eating of bread and the drinking of wine, but he came neither eating bread, if you want to take it that way, nor drinking wine. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they called him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But we think this night of one greater than John, who was the greatest in this world, yet not equal to the least in the world called the kingdom of heaven. Now these are only states of consciousness through which every man passes. If you are not now in the state of John, may I tell you, you are going to be sometime in the state of John. If not now in this present little environment, when the wheel turns and it returns, you will be in that state. Everyone passes through the state of John before he comes into the state of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the state of John? We come into this world. Now, let me share with you my own personal experience. I was born in a very limited environment, small little island in the West Indies called Barbados. My father ran a little grocery store, but it was a general store. Not only groceries, but meat, fish, fowl, liquor, wine. I mean, it supplied everything for the table. I was raised in that environment where it seemed the most normal natural thing in the world to eat anything that was placed on the table, and so I did. I left Barbados at the age of 17 and came to America, believing as I did everything placed before me that was edible was right. And then I fell into the state, where I gave up all the things that I did normally as a boy, right through until I was 17 years old. I fell into the state at the age of 20, a little after 20, say 21, where I would not eat any meat, any fish, fowl, not even eggs. Naturally, in those days, I didn't drink, so that was not giving up wine, but that couldn't cross my lips. 
I did violence to my own appetite. Because as a child, as a boy, I indulged in everything that my father placed before me. And suddenly I gave it all up, and for seven years I was a strict vegetarian, teetotaler, celibate. John represents that state in man's ongoing when, does, when he does violence to his appetite. And yet life is nothing more than the appeasement of hunger. God gives to every man in this world a hunger that he can, if he knows God's law, satisfy. He can clothe himself with the fulfillment of his dream and satisfy it. But there's a state where man passes through, and it is called John the Baptist, where he does violence to his appetite. I met a friend of mine in New York City. His name was Abdullah. He said to me in 1933, I met him in 29, and he did everything. He ate everything. He drank everything. He didn't smoke only because he just didn't enjoy it, but he did everything. An old, old man, he was then in his late 80s when I met him. And he said to me, you're going to, so you're going to Barbados? You want to go to Barbados? I said, yes. Now this is where the good news of the kingdom comes in. Then when I met him, I did not eat flesh in any form. I did not drink alcohol in any form and no smoking and a celibate. He said, well then, you are now in Barbados. I said, I'm in Barbados. This is on 72nd Street in New York City, where the buildings can go 30 and 40 stories high. Barbados, if you find a three-story building, you're lucky. The little one and two-story buildings and no sidewalk, but no sidewalk. One little tiny street we call Broad Street. To this day, we call it Broad Street. And that's the only place that has a sidewalk. And all the other areas, no sidewalks. You walk in the street or you walk in the gutter, and there's no such thing as a sidewalk. And he said to me, now clothe yourself with Barbados. Put it on as you would another garment, just as you would another garment. So that you would smell the tropics and you would see what you would see where you were in Barbados. Well, I did to the best of my ability, and I clothed myself with Barbados. And when I thought then that night, the first night that I clothed myself with Barbados, I thought of New York City and I saw it 2,000 miles to the north of me. Then I had succeeded in clothing myself with Barbados. I fell asleep in the assumption I am in Barbados. While the days went on from this, I would say late October through November, and yet I am not physically in Barbados. So I tried to open up my discussion with Abdullah, and I said, Ab, I did all that you told me. I clothed myself with a Barbados. I am sleeping in Barbados. And yet here I am in New York City. He would not talk to me. He turned his back upon me the very first time I brought it up. He walked towards the studio and slammed the door in my face. And if you knew Abdullah as I knew him, that was no invitation to come in. So if I am clothing myself in Barbados and with Barbados, then I must be faithful to this clothing. That's the good news spoken on after John is arrested, not before. John is doing violence, trying to gain the kingdom of heaven by being good. And he said to me, you're so good, you're good for nothing. And you're trying to get into the kingdom by being good. You don't eat meat, no kind of meat. You don't drink any alcoholic liquor. So you're so good. And you're celibate at the age that you are today. And so all the fires you bottled up in you trying to be good. So I kept on wearing my garment. I am in Barbados. On the morning of the 4th of December, a letter came to my door, stuck under my door. 
from my brother giving reasons why he wanted me to come to Barbados, and enclosing in that letter a ticket for Barbados. I had not gone home to Barbados in 11 years. I made no request. I didn't write the family. My brother Victor writes me saying that you must come and no response other than yes would he accept, and enclosing a little draft to buy shirts if I need them, or a pair of shoes, and stating in the letter that you that use or sorry, so stating in the letter that use to use the check to the fullest advantage. Charge everything. And when I arrived in Barbados, well, he would board the ship and pay all expenses that I had signed. If I used the bar, use the bar. He didn't know I wasn't drinking, but all expenses, the tipping of the steward, the tipping of everyone in that ship. He would board the ship, take care of all of my expenses, but I must come. Then he gave me his reason for it. He justifies why. I went down to that ship on the morning of the 6th and got my passage and off I went. Before I went, Abdullah said to me, So, you're going to Barbados? May I tell you, you're going to die, but you will not surely die. But you will die. He didn't explain. Like Blake, he never would tell me the interpretation of his statement, you will die. Well, I went off thinking, well, I'll die, die in Barbados. I didn't die in Barbados, but I died. I died to everything that I was doing. I lived in Barbados for three months, which is the Christmas season, and everyone is entertaining. I'm returning from America after 11 years, and party after party is given for my honor. It's Christmas, it's New Year's, they're all drinking, all having fun, and I simply drank water. Mother prepared all kinds of meals, and I would have just a vegetable meal. She never heard of it. We were raised supplying the entire island with meat, with fish, with fowl, with everything. With all the wine, everything was home. And I just said, no, I would take vegetables. I was there for one solid three months. I came back to that ship going north. And the night I entered that ship, we sat maybe six or eight people at a table. Um, we all introduced ourselves. My name is Neville Goddard. And so I would shake hands. And this one is so-and-so. You all introduce yourself aboard ship. Then the man to my right said to the waiter, Let us see what you have for wine. The waiter brought the wine list. He said, We will have that. I didn't say wine, so he ordered that wine. Then came the first course soup. So I didn't ask if there's meat stock in this. As I'd done for seven years, I drank the soup. Then he brought the second course, it was fish. I ate the fish. He brought the third course, it was meat. I ate the meat, all the time pouring down the wine. Everything that I had done in seven years, I did that, or I hadn't done in seven years, I did that night. And then from then on, for the ten or twelve days at sea, till I got off the ship in New York City, then I understood what he meant, you will die. That state, called John the Baptist, which does violence to itself, you must pass through it. If you are not now in it, you will be in it. It's part of the eternal drama of God. God has prepared a way to redeem himself. It's God and only God playing all these parts. So, God has prepared the way to bring himself back individualized as you. There's no other way. So from Adam to Jesus Christ, there are only states of awareness through which God and only God passes. And the last state of the old dispens dispensation is John the Baptist. 
That is the last stage. And so man must pass through that state. Don't try to invite it. It happens. And you don't understand why it happens. In my own case, raised normally, with all the food before me, because my father made a living feeding us by selling us this fish, fowl, meat, eggs, butter, everything that was normal, all the rum in the world. We make rum in Barbados. He drank heavily. My father was a very heavy drinker. All these things were exposed to us, so we took it and suffered it. My father, the depths of my own being, moving me through all these furnaces, put me into a state where I was married at the age of 18, a father at 19, separated at 20. And then I became so disillusioned with marriage, I vowed I would have not a thing to do with sex. My own disillusionment, my own, not hers, my own. That was part of the play where he put me through these furnaces and brought me out seven years later. I know friends of mine who have been, been in that state of John the Baptist for 50 years, and they have died in it. But the wheel turns, they will come out. The wheel turns. Although they cease to be here as a flesh and blood being, they were in it when they died. Others came out after 40 years. Here was George Bernard Shaw. He died in it after 70 years. He was 90 years when he died. He was a strict vegetarian and a teetotaler. He was in it. But he died in it. He had not come out. He died not believing in Christ. He died an atheist. He didn't know the good news. My friend Abdullah, who taught me this story, he was in it for 40 years. He hadn't touched anything that was meat, especially pork. He was born and raised in the Jewish faith, and for 40 years he touched nothing that was meat. But certainly he, not only 40 years, but from the time of birth up until he was almost 80 years old, he hadn't touched pork. And then came the same thing to him that happened to me. So man passes through this state called John the Baptist, and he comes into the state called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the freedom of the world. So it's said of John, he came not eating or drinking. It is said of Christ, called the Son of Man. He came eating and drinking, and they say of him, Behold a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you pass through it, and then you know what he is talking about. He doesn't come to destroy the law. He said not one little dot will be rubbed out of the law. All will be fulfilled. But he interprets the law as John could not interpret it. John thought that by doing violence to his appetite, he would get into the kingdom. He thought that he could scare a man into salvation. And the next state, beyond John, tells you he can't do it that way. Let me, I'm going to have to say that again. And the next state beyond John tells you you can't do it that way. He interprets the law and shows the law as something that is mental, not physical. And then he puts it this way. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks on, woman, on a woman lustfully has already committed the act of adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5.27 he takes it from a physical state to a mental state. If I look upon a woman lustfully and I think I can get away with it and it seems pleasant, I may be inclined to do it. If I contemplate that act along with its consequences for myself and my family, I may restrain the impulse. But he tells me that's not good enough. In the contemplation of the act, I did it. So causation is mental. It's not physical. John didn't know that. 
The state called John didn't know that. If I restricted myself or resisted the impulse, I thought, well, am I not wonderful? I have just abided by the law. Ye shall not do it. Then comes the next state called Jesus Christ. And that state tells me that wasn't good enough. The wheel is turning and you are going to do it tomorrow. The wheel will turn now and tomorrow when it turns all over again, you will be performing the act. And you'll wonder why has this happened to me, to the disgrace of my family and myself. Because you thought by the restraint of the act, you didn't do it. And now he interprets the law for us and tells us the very contemplation of the act was the act. And so when one gets to the point where they don't even contemplate it, well then off the wheel of recurrence we are lifted, one by one. And that is the story of the one that is greater than John. So everyone is moving through a series of states, and it starts from Adam through, well, we can't stop Adam. And start it from Adam, for that's where real civilization, civilization begins. So you start from Abraham, and you come all the way through into Jesus Christ. And there are only states of consciousness where God passes through individualizing himself as you. And everyone goes through the state called John the Baptist. So all those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom is greater than John. So how great we are in this world that doesn't really matter because the least in the kingdom of God has a greatness beyond the wildest dream of this world. Because the least in the kingdom of God has a greatness beyond the wildest dream of this world. The least has a greatness. You can't conceive the greatness of the least in the kingdom. And he's brought there not by anything he's done. For may I tell you, I did nothing to do it. I fell into it. But who made me fall into it? God. And so we can't take any credit for having fallen into the state called John. It seemed to me, if I reflect upon it, prior to when I fell into it, that I was disillusioned in marriage. A young man of 18 getting married and then being a father at 19 and then at 20 separated, and becoming disillusioned, and then pledging myself not to have anything to do in the sexual world, and then to give up completely all of the food that I loved. I love food, love all the things that the world would offer. And then to go through it, and a man would tell me on a certain day, you're going to die, but not really die. And then you're bewildered. I'm going to die, but, not, but I'm not going to die? What is he talking about? Well, he was talking about the state. I will die to that state. And when after the things happened, and I said to him, What did you mean, and who told you that I would die, and yet not really die? He said to me, The brothers. That's all that he would tell me. The brothers told me that you would die, but not really die. The brothers told me you were coming to me. And what did he mean by the brothers? The Elohim. The gods who made us all in their own image. So tonight, may I tell you, let me share with you the good news. You are told the very first words given into the word or into the world in the mouth of Jesus Christ in the earliest gospel is in Mark, the 14th and 15th verses. The words are, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The first words put into his mouth. Someone asked the other night concerning changing the picture of this world. 
The word repent in the first statement made in that gospel, repent is a radical change of attitude toward anything that happens to you in this world. I don't care what is happening. Repent. Don't let it happen as it is happening. Change it in your mind's eye solely as I did standing in New York City without one nickel in my pocket, not a nickel, and Barbados is 2,000 miles away across water so you can't walk and he tells me you are now in Barbados. I'm in Barbados and Barbados is 2,000 miles away across water. Clothe yourself with Barbados. If you are in Barbados, how would you know you are? Look at the world, for motion is relative. I can only detect that I have moved relative to something that is stationary to my motion. So New York remains where it is, and if I assume that I am in Barbados and I think of New York, I should see it 2,000 miles to the north of me. So I clothe myself with Barbados and think of something stop, think of some stopping place where if I am in Barbados, that vision will tell me where I am. So I think of Barbados, and there it is, 2,000 miles to the north of me. So I sleep in that state to find that someone 2,000 miles away has moved to bring me a ticket to go to Barbados with a little small check to buy the necessary things to get aboard the ship. So the last state man passes through is John the Baptist, where he does violence to himself. Now he is clothed in camel's hair and a leather girdle. The most external parts of a man is hair and skin. So he's clothed in camel's hair and a leather girdle. So here he's the most external thing that man could ever have on a body would be the camel's hair and the leather girdle. And he said, if you will accept it, he is Elijah, come again. Go back and read the story of Elijah. He was clothed in camel's hair and a leather girdle. It means the mind is clothed with something external. I think if I give to the poor, if I can contribute to the church, if I go to church every Sunday and I do all the external things that I am now getting into the kingdom of heaven. So I abide by all the external things, and that doesn't get me any place into the kingdom of heaven. Then I begin to do violence to my appetite. I restrain the impulse to do this, that, or the other, not knowing that life itself is nothing more than the appeasement of hunger. And God and only God gives me the different hungers. And the final hunger he gives me is the hunger for the word of God. The very last hunger, as told us in the book of Amos. I will send a famine upon the world, if it will not be for bread or a thirst for water, but for the hearing of the word of God, Amos 8.11. And so the last hunger to come upon man is to hear the word of God. To hear it is to experience it. I want to experience the reality of what is said in scripture. And so I will hear it. And I'm so hungry to hear it, I will experience it. Then comes man's individual experience. So man must experience scripture for himself to understand how wonderful it is. When he experiences scripture, the hunger that preceded the experience is now satisfied by the experience. And so that is what comes out when he enters into the state called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the flower, the fulfillment of God's purpose. So in the end, there's nothing but Jesus Christ. So we are told in that day, or on that day, the Lord is one and his name is one. And that name is Jesus. All come out as he, but they must pass through the state called John the Baptist, 
and John is but a state, and all must pass through the state doing violence to themselves in the hope that in some way it is seen by someone above him, and by that seeing he enters into the state called salvation. You cannot save yourself. No man can save himself. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of God. You could this very moment become the most strict vegetarian in the world, teetotaler, non-smoke or celibate, go to the extreme state and make yourself so impotent that you couldn't possibly even entertain the thought, and yet you cannot by such violence to yourself enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is entered by grace, but you pass through the violence to self and then you come out. May I tell you, when you do come out, there will always be those who mock you. Always those. So when he comes into the world, they call him a glutton, and they call him a drunkard and the friend of sinners. And may I tell you, when I came back after seven years of this rigid discipline, and those who saw me in this meeting one night, when I got up and suddenly confessed what I am doing now, that a few ladies in the audience cried, because they thought they had in me some personal savior, and I became to them an image that cracked and broke. And they saw in me now an utter failure, one who normally drank and normally ate meat. To them I was a complete disillusioned being. And it happens to every being in this world. You pass through it. I am sharing with you my own experience. For truth that man knows from experience he knows more thoroughly than he knows anything in this world. Or that he can know that's that same truth in any other way. So if I tell you of this experience, you must believe me. Or you may disbelieve me. Even those who believe me will not know it to the extent they will know it after they themselves have had the experience. And so you pass through. But don't encourage it. Don't this night say, I will simply go on a vegetable diet. I will give up liquor. I'll give up smoking. I'll give up sex in the hope that I'm going to pass through this state. It doesn't come that way. It comes in a strange way. It came to me in the strangest way. I ordered the most wonderful roast beef, may I tell you. I was in Syracuse, New York, and I love my meat. And I ordered the most wonderful roast beef. And as, as I put my knife into it, I actually felt I was cutting the animal alive. I took the plate and pushed it away. I could not take one piece from that plate. For seven years, I couldn't. So it happened that way. I couldn't touch a piece of meat, a piece of fowl, an egg, or fish for seven years. But it happened. I was a vegetarian for seven years, and I ordered from the menu roast beef as I always left it, and as it was delivered. I just thought it would be marvelous. But as I put my knife right into it, I was cutting into the animal and pushed the whole thing away. For seven years it was that way, and coming back to the States, I did everything I had not done in seven years. That's how you pass through the state called John the Baptist, and come into the state called Jesus Christ. But before you are lifted off the wheel, you must prove that this is good news. And good news is that everything in this world that you want, you can have if you clothe yourself with it. Doesn't mean you're lifted off the wheel, but clothe yourself with it. You want to be rich? How would you feel if you were rich? You want to be healthy? How would you feel were you healthy? You want to be free of all embarrassment? How would you feel this night if you were not embarrassed? that not a thing in this world could embarrass you. How would you feel were it so? And you clothe yourself with these states, one after the other, and be faithful to the clothing that you wear, and let it unfold in your world. It will, 
It will completely unfold in your world and you will see it. Then as you practice with it and actually believe in the good news of the kingdom of God suddenly when you least expect it, one after the other, a series of events that God predetermined to awaken himself and awaken within you because God has prepared a way for himself to return the individualized as, as you, completely prepared. And no one can stop the way he's prepared the way. And so, at the very end, all of a sudden, the series begins to unfold. And you are unfolding, and you are he, the one who became you and took himself through the furnaces, all through John into Jesus Christ. And you awake as he. There's not a thing I can tell you to persuade you to accept it, and I wouldn't raise a finger to make it so, because I am not convinced by speculation. I am convinced by knowing, having experienced it. And so if all the great teachers of the churches of the world stood before me in opposition, it would make no difference to me whatsoever. They too will pass through these states because they aren't elected to these states by men. So the heads of all the great churches of the world, if they stood before me now, I could say to them, if you have not experienced it, you will, and your greatness in this world is as naught, it is nothing. For the least in the kingdom is greater than you. For the least in the kingdom has a greatness that you cannot measure by anything on earth. And you have not, if, if you have not experienced this, no matter how great you are with all the metals pinned upon you by men who banish in this world, it is as nothing. But the day will come you'll go through John the Baptist. He's not a man who lived 2,000 years ago. He represents a state of consciousness that's eternal, through which every soul must pass. And passing through, they do violence to their appetites. They come out of it and, under, and enter the state called Jesus Christ. And they believe the story of the good news of God and actually prove it in performance. They prove it and prove it until that moment in time when they're lifted off the wheel of recurrence. And they enter the kingdom of God. But here we are told concerning John the law and the prophets until John. It starts the great law and all through the great prophets until John. Matthew 11:13 There comes a stop from then the good news of the kingdom is preached and everyone enters the kingdom violently I read it here in the most scholarly works this passage which is the 16th chapter the 16th verse of the book of Luke and these great scholars and there were hundreds of them in discussion and they confessed it doesn't make sense it only adds confusion to confusion based upon an earlier passage that they can't understand. What he means, so all of a sudden, everyone enters the kingdom violently. And this thing happens after John. Well, may I tell you it's true, it happened to me, and I can't tell you how violent you are when you enter. Not angry, but sheer, sheer energy. You use a power that you have never heard of on earth. We speak of power, blowing up a whole city with a bomb, Blowing up a country with a bomb, it doesn't compare to the power that you exert in that moment of entrance into the kingdom of God. When you are whipped up in the form of a spiral into your own skull, it is as though it takes that energy to ram you into the eternal structure that God has predetermined, as though the whole vast skull is being filled, and you fill one niche forever and ever. But you move into it with such power the whole thing radiates. The whole thing shakes like an earthquake, as though the whole vast world is an earthquake. And then suddenly, when you are completely in it and then riveted in, then it subsided and it's all quiet, and you return here to the world of Caesar. 
So the world is stating in that 16th verse of the 16th chapter of Luke, everyone enters it violently. May I tell you, it must, because it takes an enormous power to drive you into that part prepared for you. It's been waiting for you since the beginning of time. And you move into that one part prepared for you, and you move in so forcibly the whole structure vibrates. Then it subsides at your back. So you go home this night and clothe yourself with the joy of being the man, the woman that you want to be. I tell you, it will not fail you. Now, let us go into the silence. Okay, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture titled The One Greater Than John from 1964. Thank you so much for joining me for today's uh, episode, and I will see you guys next time. Have a good one. Bye.